Christoph has already mentioned it this morning, uh, that today we're taking a little bit of a focus on those who are going to go from our congregation to serve in other places uh, throughout the summer. And if you have had a chance to flick through your update, perhaps you've looked down the green page and you've seen some of the folks in the places where they're going. And so this morning, as we look at uh, this whole idea of ready to go, uh, to go and to serve and to proclaim this wonderful message, we're going to look at it and think of it for those who are going. What does it mean for them as they go? But also, what does it mean for us, for each of us as we stay and perhaps watch on and we hear the stories of what's been going on through the summer? The summer is an exciting time. I don't know if uh, you've been building up to it. You've been planning your summer holidays, perhaps. You've been enjoying the little bit of good weather that has been over the past couple of weeks, days, in between all the rain and everything like that. But you get the sense that summer's coming. Schools are starting to wind down. We've already mentioned that uh, church life quietens down as well. And I'm sure your summer had a routine much like mine. It probably started at some point with a holiday Bible club, a beach mission, a schism, some form of five-day club that you went to, and it was a great week of fun and activities as you learned more about the stories of Jesus. And then maybe for some of us, it was camp as well. So we'd go away for five days or a week in the summer. Um, possibly we kept going back to this camp year after year. We enjoyed it, great activities, more great fun, and it was just a great way to spend your summer away from home away with friends and with leaders who were like real people and not these serious adults that you saw around you the rest of the year. For me, it was a week, right at the start of the summer of Holiday Bible Club at home and then straight to camp. And then the rest of my summer was spent wandering the streets and everything like that and enjoying whatever Katie had for me. What's your summer like? What are you doing this summer? Are we involved? Are we going and telling the news of Jesus? For many of us, we do get involved, and perhaps we have been involved in the past. So we've done uh, that week of lack of sleep and complete tiredness on beach missions or schisms, or the weeks of camp where kids won't go to sleep and you're struggling yourself to get to bed, never mind getting the kids to bed. But it's all about serving. It's all about giving ourselves for the ultimate task of proclaiming the gospel message. Sometimes it's a natural progression. If we've been to camp, we think, this is great. I just want to keep coming. And so we transition to become leaders or volunteers on the camp team. And so we, we fall into it that way by a natural progression. For others, it's, I think this would be a good idea. We're encouraged by older Christians to go and do this uh, mission for a week or whatever it is. And so we get enthused by mission as we see people coming and responding to the gospel message. And so this morning we are going to recognize those who are going to serve. And so we start with our first passage in John, John chapter 20. And we had those simple little words in John 20 and verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. We know this as the, the smaller commission. We are all familiar with the Matthew, uh, the commission in Matthew 28, go into all the world 
and proclaim the good news, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We recognize that commission is very clear from Jesus. But here we have a commission that is very simple, but yet is very deep and very challenging for how we live and how we serve. The context of the disciples, they're in this room. It has been possibly for them the highest week of their life and the lowest week of their life. It all started seven days ago with the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And by now, they're lost, wondering what is going on. They're confused. They'd witnessed the death of Jesus. They'd witnessed that horrific execution. And by that stage, they had already denied Jesus and ran away from him for fear of their own lives. And now they're sitting with these rumors that the body is gone and they don't know what to do. They don't know who to believe anymore. And right there, Jesus appears and they are now seeing him with their own eyes. Three years earlier, or thereabouts, Jesus had called each of them. He had said, come, follow me. Or in some of the the Gospels, it's a case they come and spend a day with Jesus, and they discover who he is, and they want to stay with him, to learn from him. So they've been learning for three years, and now it's time for them to go it on their own. Jesus is saying, I had a purpose in coming. It was the Father that gave me that purpose, and I have trained you for this purpose. Be like me in this world. Go and do the same thing that I've been doing. So this was their commission. Go and do the work. Do as I have done. Jesus had demonstrated for these three years what a real life was like. These disciples They couldn't get away from the fact that the life that Jesus was offering them, this wonderful thing of salvation and the saving of their souls, was the most wonderful thing in all their lives. They witnessed it in absolutely everything that Jesus had done and lived. And even in what he said in Luke 19 and verse 10, the story of Zacchaeus, Jesus says at the end of it that he came to seek and to save the lost. This is why he'd come. He'd come to go out searching to find people who needed to hear of this wonderful way of life and to share it with them, to seek and to save them. And in John 10 and verse 10, Jesus said that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. This wasn't the kind of life where people would just sit and watch it pass them by, thinking that it's only something for a moment. The life that Jesus came was an abundant life, filled with love and grace and mercy that he showed them so that they could show others as they lived that same life, that life that they were called to. And this is now the call to the disciples. Do as I have done. And it's not just to the disciples that we read in the Gospels, but it is to us as well. Whenever we think about how Jesus did it, There are three things that that come to us about the character of Jesus and how he went about his ministry. Grace, love, and mercy. Jesus demonstrated grace. His whole life was about grace. Grace is what we get even though we don't deserve it. This is what Jesus came to give us. Life abundantly, even though we did not deserve it because we had fallen and we had sinned And we'd stepped away from the life that God had wanted for us. Jesus lived grace every moment of his life. He also demonstrated love. He showed love 
time and time and time again. He brought those in who were on the outside. He showed them love so that they would know that he cared for them and that they were precious in his sight and in the sight of God. He loved his disciples. It's, it's a wonderful picture in John 20 because after he says these things, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus never intended that this would be a, a one-man show. He never intended that we would go out on our own, not knowing what to do or how to do it, but that we would have help. Yes, help from each other. But right there in that moment, he breathed on them as they received the Holy Spirit, equipping them and enabling them to do this task that they were called to do. Jesus showed them love by caring for them so that they would be fit for the task and for the purpose. And in that love, he unites. He unites those who are found in him. As Christians, as disciples of Jesus, it's the one thing that holds us together, even though we have different opinions and different views on many things in life. But it is the love of Jesus that unites us. And it is the love of Jesus that continues to unite his people as he demonstrated it in the way that he lived. So he demonstrated grace, love, and finally, mercy. He didn't give us what we truly deserved. He showed us mercy. For the one who cried out, Lord, have mercy on me, mercy was shown. Mercy. Sometimes we're not so good at it. Sometimes we like to, to have that power, have that authority to think that we are better than others. And so we're not that merciful. Whenever we think about mercy, we need a lot of patience with it. Because we need to forgive time and time and time and time again. Jesus does that for us. He forgives us so that we will forgive others. In that simple mathematical equation, 70 times 7, not that it was an actual figure, but that it was an amount that we really couldn't keep track of, but we just keep doing it. We show mercy because he has shown us mercy. And so this life that Jesus has displayed for us is the lives that we are to live as we serve. So if you are here this morning and you are going to serve on a team, whether it is for a week, for two weeks, for seven weeks, whether it's up in Port Stewart or in Latin America or wherever, the way that Jesus has shown us is the way how we are to be on a team. I did my first outreach team as part um, of what was then the youth board of the Presbyterian Church down to Carlo, um, a 17-year-old, not knowing what to expect. Uh, the only reason I chose Carlo was because I had family down there and I knew that if it all went pear-shaped, well, at least there was someone there that I could go and spend the night with. And I was young. I, I was naive. I came from this little place in the province of Northern Ireland that no one said Buddha a goose. Very naive. Uh, kind of naivety where you look and you see people using the new international version and you think, oh, they mustn't be too good because, of course, I was brought up on a King James diet. And so you go with all your preconceptions and all your ideas of what's good and what's bad. And you also think about what you can do and how you're going to change the world. And the first thing that was thrown to me, quite literally, was a mop and a bucket. And I was told, there's the toilets. 
go and clean them. We stayed in what was a converted stable block uh, at a Church of Ireland church down in Carlow. It wasn't used from one year to the next, and so every year we had to clean the toilets. I take it that I must have done a good job because I got that job for the next five years while I was there. I'm not offering, by the way, in case anyone gets any ideas this morning. But what did that teach me? It taught me grace. It taught me love. And it taught me mercy. Cleaning the toilets. I didn't go to clean toilets. I went to see people saved. I went to see people's lives changed with this wonderful message that Jesus brought. But I needed to learn how to clean toilets so that I could not only serve my team and serve the the kids and young people who would come into our clubs and activities, but also to know how to serve God. When we serve, we do what we can because it is all for God. So whether we are going away in the summer and whether we are given toilet duty on the first day or not, or whether it's here in this congregation where we serve, where perhaps we're involved in Converse or Holiday Club in the summer or Golden Years, or maybe it's our regular activities throughout the year, our service calls us to do whatever needs to be done because no task is too low in our service for the King because He did it for us. As we go and do team ministry, we must serve in whatever way we can. We also need to recognize the bigger picture. As a young 17-year-old, a lot of us who were that age thought we knew how this would go. We'd never done anything like this before, but we thought we knew better than the team leader. We thought we know how to do this, when in fact we didn't. So we had to trust in the bigger picture that had been revealed to people so that we could be part of what this big plan was, recognizing by the end of the week that this wasn't just for one week, but it was for many years to break into this community in Carlo. We need to trust our leaders. We need to trust how God has led them so that they can lead us. So that as they have and have been forming this big picture, we can have an idea and a trust in them to lead us so that big, that big picture can be met and fulfilled. We also need to love and be patient with one another. I've always found Wednesday night is the worst night on a team because those who have been shy for the first three days come out of themselves and those who haven't been so shy are so out of themselves they're completely tired and exhausted and no good for anything. And this is where love and this is where patience kicks in. We don't go as individuals. We don't be part of these team ministries as one person. Yes, we have differing roles and differing responsibilities, but we are a team. And so we must bear patiently with each other. We must love each other. We must put up with whatever we have to put up with so that the message can be proclaimed through the work, the overall work of the team. And the other thing we're to do is to demonstrate Christ in the world. Over breakfast, in our quiet times, in kids' club, in teenage work, in team time, whatever it is, we demonstrate Christ because that's who we are called to follow. That's a big task because it means we must be genuine and we must be real. 
There's no way of impersonating on a team whenever you're with people for seven days, 24 hours a day. It's very hard to to put up this appearance of, of what we are or what we think we are or what we think we would like to be. We are to be real and to be genuine, to demonstrate Christ in this world so that we can encourage one another in mutual care and also that we can show what a life following Christ is like. So team ministry is about doing those jobs that need to be done because no job is too low. We are to recognize the bigger picture by trusting in our leaders. We are to love and be patient with one another as a team. And we are to demonstrate Christ in this world. And we are called to serve. But we can only do this by talking with our Father. Throughout Scripture, we see these moments where the leaders of Israel... God's people took time to be with him. Of course, Jesus himself took that time, that time of solitude, that time to be alone with his father, where he could talk to him and meditate on these things. In everything we do, in every aspect of service, it all starts right with our father. We must go to him. In the weeks leading up to whatever opportunities we're going on and while we're away, We must be in that communication room with him. One of the greatest times on a team for me is whenever you get that 45 minutes to an hour of quiet time each morning. It's there in a timetable. You cannot escape it. At home, it's a struggle to get that amount of time. But to be able to have those 45 minutes to an hour is precious because we are forced to take this time with God to enjoy him, to pray, to talk, and to listen. Whatever service we do, it starts with our Father. And it is a a determination within us that says, I'm going to do this. It means we have to look at our schedules and say, I need this time in here so that we can be fit for the purpose that he has called us to, wherever it may be. So that's about serving, about going and taking part in these things. But what about those who do not have the opportunity to serve? What about those who perhaps because of age can no longer go on teams? Or what about those who through family commitments can't go either? We get to see very little of what the British Army does. We see it every now and again on the television, but that's not the fullness of their work. For every one soldier that is on the battlefield, there are 10 in administration and support. So for every one soldier in combat that we see on television, there are 10 somewhere around the world supporting that one soldier to be on the field. And we know the the pictures that we get, that whenever we do gospel work, it's a battlefield, it's a war that we are engaging with. So those who stay at home, those who don't go as part of these missions and camps over the summer, You are the support team. Because every person who's named on our little green sheet needs to be supported. And this is where the rest of us fit in. The battle is real. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8 tells us the devil prowls around like a lion, waiting to pounce and devour whoever he can. This is spiritual warfare that we are entrusting our people in as we send them so we want to care for them and support them as they face the evil one and the attacks that he will bring. The passage you read in Philippians 
is a very pastoral moment for Paul. He's writing to this church in Philippi. We can know about what happened there in Acts 16. But in it he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul sees these people in Philippi as partners. He knows that as he is going around the known world proclaiming the gospel message, he doesn't do it alone. It is with the support of these people who are in the partnership of the gospel with him. And he knows them because he goes on to say, I know you and I am confident that he who has begun a good work in you will see it through to completion. So Paul is now knowing two things. He knows the people and their heart, how they cared for him and Silas as they were there, how they loved them and nurtured them and encouraged them. But he also knows his God. He knows that he that is God who started a good work in these people will see it through to completion. They may not be able to go. They may have to remain in Philippi because of different things, but they are still involved in the work. I would say for the majority of us, as we look at the names who are going to serve this summer, we recognize them. We perhaps know a face or we know them very well. We know their heart. We know them as they go to serve and they know us. They know the support they get when they come week by week here into the different organizations. So let's keep going throughout the summer. Let's pray for them and let's encourage them as they go and let's tell them about it. As they go for their two weeks to schism or camp or whatever they're going, let them know we'll be praying for them while they're away. So that that one day, whenever things just haven't gone as well as they should have gone, and someone's settling down for the night, and they're starting to feel inadequate because they mucked up in some way or they don't feel they can do this. Let them know so that they will be encouraged that there are people still caring and praying for them so that they will continue as they wake the next morning to keep going for Christ's sake and proclaiming the gospel message. Support and encourage. We may think, but it's only for one week. They're going to be surrounded by many Christians, but this is warfare. This is an active battle that we are engaging in with the evil one. He won't hold anything back, and so our support is in prayer. Our support is an encouragement to spur on and keep people going. So for those who go and for those who stay, what's it going to look like in two months' time when we gather here again at the end of August and the start of September and we tell each other our stories of what we've got up to over the summer? Can I say to those who go, bring it back. Bring back your enthusiasm. Bring back your energy. Bring back your fervor for the Lord. Come back and use it here. Don't resign it to an experience of a summer, but bring it back and use it in where God's calling you here. And for those who are staying and supporting, talk to people. Talk to them over coffee. Drop them a note. Invite them for a cup of tea or coffee or for a meal. And ask them what they saw God doing this summer. Encourage them and keep that encouragement going. And whenever we actually think about it, we're all being commissioned this morning. 
We're all being commissioned for different tasks. Yes, we will recognize those who are giving up time in the summer to go and do this. But we also recognize each other as encouragers and as prayers so that we can support those from our family who are going out. Take it seriously. Step up to the mark so that we can ensure that as a congregation, we are sending people and supporting people to proclaim the most wonderful message we can ever imagine. Stephen Gorger, the former president of the Baptist Union of England, said this, Every believer in Jesus has the incredible privilege of sharing in his world plan. This plan excludes no one. All without regard to nationality, race, color, or gender are loved by him. He longs for young and old, rich and poor, from the North Pole to the South Pole, to discover this love. We are called to be co-workers with God in putting this plan into practice. This is our calling. This is what the next two months for us are to be about as disciples of Jesus. To take the message and to support those who take the message as together we are co-workers with God in putting this plan into action and practice throughout the world. Let's pray.